0: Even though pharmacists have never really been part of the planning for disaster relief, good heavens they jumped up and did what they needed to do. We had pharmacists working in evacuation centres. We had, I'm going to say, a pop-up shop turn up in an evacuation centre in room where people with nothing, people had to flee. Danielle was solving their problems and ferrying stuff back and forth from the shop. We had pharmacists working in the dark with no computers and no power. We had people who just had no way of paying because they had lost everything and obviously pharmacists in that situation we just helped them with whatever they needed we had people who had no idea what their medications were just that they needed their insulin that was a great use of my health record when communications were available fantastic picture of one of our staff packing webster packs for the nursing home by a camp stove with a single light glow. so heating the oven up on the little sort of gas fire Hi, I'm Andrew Topp, Group Business Manager at Capital Chemist.
1: And I'm Danielle Campbell, Managing Partner at Naruma Pharmacy, and you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network Podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network Podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PBCN Podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way.
2: The bushfire season of 2019-20 was the most sustained and confronting in Australia's recent history, with fires threatening communities in many states and territories across unprecedented areas of land. In numerous Australian towns, community pharmacists were faced with distressed patients, both local and visiting, power failures, broken medicine supply lines, fuel shortages, acrid smoke appalling air quality. Plus, the pharmacies and the homes of staff were under direct threat, as were family members and friends from the fires. The unprecedented social and financial impacts of the bushfire season have pushed community pharmacies into the front lines of response efforts, highlighting their versatility and value within affected communities and showcasing their resilience in adverse situations. Today, we speak with Andrew Topp, Group Business Manager of Capital Chemist Group, about the broader impacts of the bushfire season on community pharmacy and what it may mean for the industry going forward. And we also chat with Danielle Campbell, owner of Naruma Pharmacy, about her own experiences on the front lines of the bushfire response efforts and the challenges that she and her team faced. Let's start with Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the show. The summer bushfires here in Australia had an enormous effect right across the country. The South Coast was front and centre in a lot of media reports and and definitely close for those of us that are in Canberra like you and I. To what extent was the South Coast area affected in terms of how many community pharmacies were actually impacted and are there now any lasting impacts for pharmacies in the area? Well, we had 10
0: pharmacies directly affected by fires um, and that means they were looking at their doors and seeing burning leaves landing and spot fires and things like that. It started with Braidwood, a little country town between Canberra and the coast, uh, end of November, and then it went up to the southern highlands in Mittagong and obviously the south coast itself. Um, All of the stores had evacuees, they had displaced people, they had staff that couldn't come to work because they were fighting fires. They had staff at work, even though their houses were at risk, um, we had Five staff in those 10 stores lose their houses and a couple of staff lost their family farms. Um, we, well, anybody in Canberra or in the area knows that there was evacuees in Canberra. Uh, Albury was swamped with evacuees from the Coryong fire, um, even though that's outside the south coast. I think there's 40 or so pharmacies between now and the Victorian border. Um, And all of them would have felt the pressure from delivery interruptions, um, traffic chaos as people were evacuating out of the area um, and evacuees, displaced people and now homeless people because certainly in Batemans Bay where I'm from, um, there's about 500 homes no longer there. Those people have to go somewhere.
2: There are countless stories of resilience and community service that have emerged from the bushfire response and how people dealt with it. Can you... Describe some of the ways that pharmacies went above the call of duty to support their affected communities because they really are part of those tight-knit communities.
0: Every pharmacy, rural or urban, feels a connection to their local community, but it is it is stronger in country towns, and I've worked in country towns, and I've lived that firsthand, Um Even though pharmacists, the appears, have never really been part of the planning for disaster relief, good heavens, they jumped up and did what they needed to do. We had pharmacists working in evacuation centres. We had, um, I'm going to say, a pop-up shop turn up in an evacuation centre in Naroomba where people with nothing, people had to flee. Um, Danielle was solving their problems and ferrying stuff back and forth from the shop. We had pharmacists working in the dark with no computers and no power Um, we had people who just had no way of paying um, because they had lost everything and obviously pharmacists in that situation, we just helped them with whatever they needed. Um, We had people who had no idea what their medications were, just that they needed their insulin. Um, That was a great use of my health record when communications were available. Uh, There's a fantastic picture of one of our staff packing Webster packs for the nursing home by a camp stove with a single light globe, so heating the oven up on the little sort of gas fire. Um, I've been back down to Bateman's Bay since and still know a lot of people down there, and universally the comments from people were how impressed they were that the pharmacies managed to keep open. There were some days when they couldn't. you know, The shopping centres had been locked shut, so they couldn't open there. But in spite of no power, no telephones, no internet, no banking, no nothing, and dare I say it, society sort of falling apart. They turned up
2: and they got the job done. It is amazing considering you just mentioned that pharmacies aren't generally part of emergency response planning. So they're kind of making it up as as they go and, and being part of the communities themselves as individuals, not just a business. And the the bushfire response involved a comprehensive effort by a variety of health professionals and and obviously emergency personnel. Can you talk us through some of the ways that pharmacists were able to and, and needed to collaborate with other health professionals to ensure optimal patient outcomes during the bushfire response?
0: Oh, absolutely. There's a couple of really good ones that stick out. Uh, I got a phone call as the as it was getting really, really difficult in Marimbula. I got a phone call from Linda Badowitz, a pharmacist down there, an old friend of mine. Uh, there was no masks, for smoke and they were running out of Ventolin and Asmol's and there was no supplies getting through because the highway was blocked north and south. Uh, There's a Canberra doctor that we know that works part-time in Marimbula and that doctor was going down the Brown Mountain to get to Marimbula. Uh, We did a quick run around a few stores, threw some Ventolin's and some Asmol's and masks at that doctor who then got them down to Canberra. Um, Interestingly, Linda ended up getting a delivery by helicopter out of Bairnsdale, I believe, but we managed to get stuff there first. Uh, we had I had a phone call from a doctor in Batemans Bay and I was quite amazed when that number flashed up because I haven't spoken to him for years and was surprised that he could actually get through. He needed to know who was open because there was just no communications, there was just no mobiles, no nothing. So how did he find me? I don't know. But we could tell which stores were open through various WhatsApps and Facebook messengers and things like that. Uh, there was a doctor in Manyana, which is a little village north of Ulladulla. He was writing scripts for patients who were locked in by fire and then conveying them by phone, and then they were delivered by boat. We, we dropped them to the harbour in Alladulla and took a boat round to Manyana. Um, and then in the fire area or without, um, pharmacists just working to find out what people's medications were. Um constant phone calls to doctors or My Health Record to look stuff up. And I know we also were working with the hospital pharmacists to make sure that stock was available at the most accessible place. Because the last thing a hospital needs to deal with in an emergency is relatively trivial things um, when they've got much more serious things like burns and that to deal with. So there was great cooperation there too.
2: It's truly amazing how people just pull together and get on with it in in a time of crisis like that. And we all know that Pharmacies are an integral part of all of our communities. Why do you think community pharmacies are ideally placed to be able to respond like they did to to these events and support their wider community?
0: Because we're there, we're literally there on the ground, grassroots, right in the thick of things in this case. And the fact is, when society fails, and I think we have to acknowledge that things did get a bit, fall apart for a bit, um, for a week or so on the south coast. There was no one else to reach out to. There was no way to get through. If people needed healthcare, that was the place that they went. And good on them. These stores opened every day in spite of the power situation. The only time they shut was when they were ordered to by emergency services. Um, But when they they then got back the next day to to fill the gap. So um, it's just a measure of pharmacy's brilliant spread um, such that everybody has a local pharmacy.
2: We talk about pharmacies expanding their scope of service. How do you think pharmacies and pharmacists can expand their scope of service in anticipation of future natural disasters so that that scope of service and things that they can offer can play a key role in the healthcare delivery during those disasters?
0: Uh, Well, the classic one is the emergency supply um, scheme, which let's face it, the three days supply until a prescription can be sourced is was a very impractical solution at the best of times and this was not the best of times. Um, so that arrangement whereby we can give a PBS quantity on most products should absolutely be... That should be the norm. Um, that would be a significant expansion in our role but a common-sense acknowledgement that we we know what these medications are. We're talking about patients who are stable on their medications and the fact is, even if it's an emergency for one person on one day, it's still an emergency for that patient. Um, the fact that this was more widespread um, just m- makes it so much more important that we had access to it. Um, there were times when um, it was fairly obvious that the government was not really meeting their the best outcomes, and I'm talking about masks, because don't forget we were dealing with the uh, smoke masks in Canberra at the same time. Um, pharmacy was the network that could get masks out to... A huge portions of the population, um, even to the point of actually couriering those masks around Canberra. That was basically the pharmacy industry that made that happen. And then look at what we're facing now with the unknowns about coronaviruses. Are we going to need access to antivirals or antibiotics? Are we going to need widespread vaccination services? Well, we should be talking about that now and we should be making sure that there's mechanisms to fund them and that we're planning for them rather than oh dear, we've got a problem, we'd better do something. Oh, let's get pharmacy involved. Have those conversations now. Don't wait until it's too bad.
2: You touched on a couple of things there that lead into my next question because recently the government implemented emergency changes to the PBS at a state and territory level to ensure that affected patients retain reliable access to medicines. Do these responses reflect an increased understanding of the importance of community pharmacy in events like a bushfire crisis, and I'm wondering if there's actually more that that can be done.
0: Absolutely, it's a shame that it took ten days after the disaster to realise what a staggeringly big problem it was. And I'd be, you know, you, you can drive for a thousand kilometres and be in bushfire affected area the entire way. It's quite staggering how big it was. Um, but they did finally come through with a solution, uh, a a solution that allowed pharmacies to dispense um, the normal pack or the 30-day pack um, and seek PBS funding. That required, as you said, the state or territory to change theirs and the PBS to change their funding mechanism. That should be the norm. I really hope they don't remove that on the 1st of April, which is the current plan. I also think that the ability to waive a copay in some sort of declared emergency should be part of it. Um, pharmacists can't be put in a position where patient well-being in an emergency is jeopardised by their ability to pay, nor should anyone assume that pharmacists will just take on that financial burden because we're good people. I don't think that's fair. The other thing that became obvious is um, the the PBS supply chain. um, Unbelievable how little understanding there is by the community but particularly the medical um government medical departments and things like that as to how drug deliveries work um and so i would like to think that the next time the symbion or sigma or api truck comes up to a roadblock in NARA and says oh we've got drugs for bateman's bay that they're actually waved through with a police escort the same way that an ambulance or a fire truck or a electricity cherry picker type emergency service would be waved through. Um, That was a real challenge to get people to understand these drugs are saving lives. They need to come through. Government pays for the CSO, so the government acknowledges that the supply chain is important, but maybe we need to make sure that the rest of um, the community understands how important that is too.
2: Well, I wanted to ask a question about the role that pharmacists can play in future planning for disasters because clearly they played such an important role, which seemed to be fairly uncoordinated in terms of we just responded rather than putting a plan in place that was part of a wider response from the community and the government. Because the engaged response by Community Pharmacy highlights the versatility and and the resilience of the industry in the face of a natural disaster. So I'm curious about whether you think we will start to see pharmacists play a key role in future disaster planning because of how well they did during the bushfire crisis?
0: Well, I certainly hope so, and it's one of the reasons I'm happy to talk to you today, because pharmacy was absolutely brilliant in the face of adversity, and what happened would happen because pharmacists want to solve problems, not because governments plan for it. So imagine what we could do if we put those two elements together. Uh, important to note, the fact that no one died in Batemans Bay um, where the damage is just so massive, absolutely amazing. Imagine what could happen if pharmacists actually were involved in planning from the outset rather than you know waiting for a disaster. Classic situation developing now. We've talked about a coronavirus. If we need to medicate or vaccinate tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people, we should be talking about that now if there's some sort of horrible nuclear accident and people need access to iodine tablets, we should be having those discussions now and making sure that the systems are in place to manage it.
2: Andrew, thanks again for joining us on the show. And as I said at the top of the show, we're also going to hear from Danielle Campbell, owner of Naruma Pharmacy, about her efforts and experiences on the front lines of the bushfire response. Danielle, thanks for joining us as well. We just heard from... Andrew Topu who gave us a broad overview of the impacts of the bushfires on South Coast communities and the amazing efforts of pharmacies to provide ongoing patient support in such difficult and trying times. Now, as someone on the front line of the response effort, can you talk a little bit about your experiences during the bushfire events and how you and your staff were able to provide ongoing patient and community support in such a trying time?
1: It all started on New Year's Eve. Uh, I woke up um, to a few emergency phone calls from worried staff members uh, overnight and during the early hours of the morning, the fire near Naruma had decimated the towns of Kabago, about 30 minutes south of Naruma and also tore through an area just to the north of Naruma. Uh, even though I was pre-warned, I was somewhat unprepared for what I was about to face as I I arrived at the pharmacy that morning um, there was pretty chaotic scenes when I got there the streets of Naruma had people lined up at petrol stations for hundreds of hundreds of meters uh, livestock being led down the, sh- the main street uh, people lined up at the pharmacy door um, just waiting for us to open and quite and I had some you know quite stressed uh, staff members as well um, and this is all ha- happening under like, under really dark skies at about 8:30 in the morning Um we opened almost immediately and lost power within minutes of opening the front doors and we had a shop full of people who we tried to serve the best we could. Um, they were mostly visitors to the area. Uh, yeah, they were primarily consisted of people that were tourists who had been you know, evacuated to Narooma, a larger centre from little holiday parks and campsites that surround Narooma. Um, we operated under torchlight for a few hours and when the crowd sort of eased, many staff were stressed about their own families and properties. So for those people, I sort of said, you can go home. Um, And as we were leaving, a few staff and I discussed, um, you know, what might happen in the coming days and what we should do, you know, just thinking forward a little bit. And it was decided that we just sort of load my uh, ute, I have a a Hilux ute, with, you know, anything an evacuation centre might need, any supplies at the pharmacy that we thought that they could use. And we, a few of us headed down to the evacuation centre, which is about one kilometre away from the pharmacy um, and the scenes we were sort of faced with there were quite hectic. Uh, the evacuation centre was initially uh, like completely in darkness. People were lining up to register their names. Um, we made ourselves known to a few key personnel and they invited us to set up a table and offer sort of community pharmacy services uh, right near where people were registering. And the requests that we we got initially were things like face masks and Ventolin. But the longer we were there, the more serious re- the, the requests became. Um, People had evacuated in such short notice, they had left all essential medical supplies behind. There was also uh, no no information about how long they were going to be in that environment as well. Um, So luckily, I have a really good relationship with one of our local GPs and her uh, surgery is about two minutes walk from where the evacuation centre was located. So she was sort of operating under... The, they had a generator running her surgery in her vaccine fridge and she came over and we sort of... Um, she sat down and started writing up prescriptions for people that, had, you know, didn't have anything at all. And so we were able to sort of essentially set up this pop-up pharmacy in an evacuation centre. So that involved um, people getting prescriptions off the doctor, us sort of taking them back to the pharmacy, dispensing them as in, like, handwriting them, bringing them back for people to collect... Um, and we operated like that for well, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and then I think possibly the next day we had power returns. We might have been back at the pharmacy for sort of the morning. Um, yeah, it was yeah, it was a very uh, interesting time in that first little little um, bit when the bushfires hit with such, you know. Uh, I think everyone just got caught off guard a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I was really proud of how my team acted over that sort of crisis period. Um, and I was even more impressed with like the whole community of Naruma that just sort of banded together in a time of need without much in the way of outside help from authorities and just dealt with the emergency situation. And we pretty much did that a lot off our own backs in that early period of time.
2: I'm going to come back to that point in a couple of questions, I think, because I want to focus on the patients. You talk about turning up and you've got patients lined up. A lot of them are traveling and they're tourists. So you've still got those people that you would normally serve as part of your community. What are some of those immediate concerns that that your patients are faced with when they need to try and maintain healthcare and access to medicines during an emergency event? Is it just being able to see a doctor and getting a a new script, or, or are there other things? Because I'm also curious about the issues or the obstacles that you had to be particularly mindful of around security and, and things like that.
1: The evacuation centre sort of changed. Um, in that first day or so, it was very much filled with people from um, the outside area who were evacuated to Naruma. They were holiday makers, visitors. Um, they might have had medications with them that they'd have to leave, you know, with their cars and equipment and campsites and things like that. So they were, you know, evacuated at very short notice. Um, they were really stressed for other family members that they might have been separated from, you know, people in different cars or um, you know, people that they were holidaying with and maybe someone went to Naruma and someone was somewhere else in this large vicinity as well um, of the evacuation sort of center that encompassed maybe two football ovals the evacuation centre where I was and then there was sort of overflow into these clubs and the golf course and things like that too. So it's quite a huge area to start with where people were evacuated from. Um, yeah, I guess in that short period of time, we were really concerned with those people. Um, it's funny you say that. As we were arriving at the evacuation centre, I one of the girls, I noticed a regular customer of ours, she'd be well into her 80s, she was driving into the evacuation centre and she was there the whole time. So she was there from Tuesday when we got there through till Sunday because I sort of was in and out of the evacuation centre with sort of the threat coming and going to Naruma. And it was interesting. One of the staff member members helped her into the evacuation centre and I sort of chatted to her. Every time I came in there, I had to chat to her. And she was just so thankful that we were there and just, she said you're doing such a wonderful service and I said do you need anything can I get you anything and she was like I think she just said to me like I think you're putting people's minds at ease knowing that they can get medications and if they need anything it's just that you're there not they might not need anything but it's just that you're there and you're helping out pretty much
2: Obviously, the bushfires, it feels like an an understatement when I say this, that they created some extremely adverse working conditions. Apart from losing things like power and and staff having to actually be community members themselves and and keep an eye on family members and their own properties, can you highlight some of the other challenges you and your staff faced and and maybe even some of the strategies that, that you may have employed to try and work around those adverse conditions especially considering as i mentioned that that you guys are actually community members as well
1: so basically obviously you lose your your power your light um on certain periods of time we had no um 3g phone connection no internet reception but um the morning of new year's eve i I, when i drove to work my car which is the highlights was Pretty much on empty, like I had you know maybe 100 kilometres to go. And with ferrying medical supplies and things back and back towards the back from the pharmacy to the evacuation centre, it was you know a few trips in and I was pretty much done. And I had a chat to um, a nurse that I met there, and she works for New South Wales Health and they have allocated cars that are always filled up with fuel. And she basically said, Look, come over to the um, community health centre, pick up a car, you guys are doing a great job and just take it and use it for what you need. It was filled with fuel, and if you run out of fuel, there's another car and there's another car, and luckily I only needed the one. Um, Because even though uh, I think maybe two days after we were able to get fuel into cars and people were able to get out of the area, um, we just didn't have time to even think about lining up for a few hundred metres for a petrol station. So, you know, that's the sort of thing that you face is just the logistics of it all. I mean, at one point I even drove, like, I... had to drive to a few uh, of my staff members houses just have conversations with them make a plan about you know we're going to be there's no power we'll be at the evacuation center if there is power we'll be at the pharmacy um are you able to come in it was all very archaic but that's just what had to be done to sort of logistically manage what was going on um yeah and obviously it worked somehow it worked and you think you know you can't leave your phone for five minutes these days but in that period of time, we just we just
2: did it and got it done. <laughs> well, well, it's an important point because, as you said, it might feel a little bit archaic, but you, you're pulling together. You know you've got a job to do. You, you might go outside your normal remit of what you need to do or about ferrying things around and just being part of the community and, and doing your job. But with the benefit of hindsight, if you had a bit of lead-up and, and some time to think about it, what kind of role or roles do you think pharmacists and community pharmacy staff can play during natural disasters other than just healthcare medication delivery?
1: For me, that's a really important uh, point to touch on. The situation was so stressful and there was this heightened sense of anxiety in the evacuation centre, especially in that first few hours of being there. And I think just being able to be there and doing what we could do um, and communicating with the people, like it was handwritten signs, it was handwritten signs on notice boards, Even if if we weren't there at that period of time, we would, you know, try and inform people that um, we will be back and we'd make a plan, okay, so if the power comes back onto Naruma, we will be at the pharmacy. So, you know, it was just so important that these people that had no information because no phones, no internet, and they're so used to having that information at their fingertips, Um, Yeah, it was just so important that we could do that for them and then just getting that information out there was really vital to the service that we could provide.
2: So what do you think pharmacy staff in, in those instances are well-placed to be able to do that and support patient needs and the wider community during disaster events like this?
1: From my perspective, we're really well-trained. Um, they're used to dealing with people. They're used to dealing with people that are you know, quite unwell, um, stressed, anxious anyway. Uh, the we're also used to dealing with, uh, you know, interprofessional collaboration. So we're used to talking to GPs, we're used to talking to other health professionals, making plans, um, problem solving on the spot. It became something normal. A few days in it was like very easy to, you know, once you'd started the first, you know, couple of hours it was really quite hard and then you just didn't know what you were doing. And then once you'd made a plan and you'd sat down and you'd thought through what you were doing, um, it all just became, okay, so what are we doing the next day? Yeah, it was very very easy, and I think like just being a community pharmacy, um, we have the skills to be able to do that quite quickly.
2: Well, you mentioned that it that it did become normal, and we hope that it doesn't become the new normal. But we're, we're probably likely to experience similar type situations in, in the coming years. What are some of the key lessons or, or, or takeaways? for pharmacists and the community pharmacy industry in general in response to this type of event? Because I'm particularly interested in in that, given the severity and the impact of the events that unfolded, do you think or anticipate that there'll be any lasting influences on how the community pharmacy industry may handle future holiday periods, particularly in places like the South Coast? Because it is a very... Popular tourist destination in those periods where prone to bushfires.
1: Yeah, I was so relieved when the New South Wales Health issued the special authority for emergency supply without a prescription. Um, albeit it was a little bit too late for us, but it has since it's been enacted, it has been um, has been helpful. I think there needs to be like some really special and serious consideration to allowing this con- to continue in some sort of shape or form, um, I honestly would be a huge advocate for it and I'd be happy to sort of tell my story as to how, you know, that particular legislative change would have made a huge impact um, for us in that evacuation centre had it been, you know, able to be kicked off straight away. Um, There's so many examples of when I was able to... Like, once it was um, started, there's so many examples of when I've been able to use it um, from providing patients medication that had completely lost their homes, um, you know, they'd lost their prescriptions, people from Cabago, they were living in Naruma. Uh, the pharmacy is still standing, but their business has gone, their house has gone, and we were able to, you know, provide them medication straight away. So it became something less stressful that they had to deal with for in a short period of time. Um, we provided medications to people that were visiting, that were stranded. And one one really good example I had is that um, at a New South Wales rural fire volunteer coming to Naruma and they're volunteering in Narooma and I think this particular gentleman had come from Wagga and he'd left behind his vital medication and he'd come here to sort of help and protect and save our community and when he came in he said, oh, look, I've left this, how do I go about getting medication? I said, look, I've got, a, you know, I've got the ability to give you these medications now so you can get back out there and help as quickly as possible. Um, and I think back to the, my time at the evacuation centre and if that local GP wasn't there and available for the entire time that she was, the services that we were able to offer people would have been drastically different and much, much more restricted. Um, and that I'm sure would have led to a completely and possibly more stressed atmosphere at that evacuation centre. So if it ever sort of comes up to, for discussion about this special authority for a, an emergency supply to be in place, I would be a huge advocate for it, like I said.
2: Well, following on from that, apart from just that, f- f- with your experiences What advice would you give to patients and other community pharmacies to ensure that they are logistically and even emotionally prepared for future holiday periods and and not just bushfire events but disaster events in general?
1: Whenever you're sort of faced with an emergency, it's important to be obviously mindful of in, in in a community pharmacy setting, be mindful of your staff first and foremost, their emotions and their stress. I was really sort of considered in how I approached them and thankful for when people could help and then didn't sort of begrudge people when they were too stressed, they had too many things to deal with, you know, elderly parents that couldn't evacuate if they weren't there to help out. So you just have to be mindful of all your staffing relationships. Um, And the other thing we had to like really watch out for is just make sure what you want to offer is achievable in the community. Um, For one, like for example, one day we had power and we had limited staff, but it was one of those days after that New Year's period where the town was filled with people. And but we when we, had, and we opened and we could dispense and we could operate, but there's no way we could have um, dealt with the influx of people that were wanting to, you know, seek out our service. And um, you know, with the staff staff that we had on, so I had to sort of have one staff member on the door another staff member dispensing, another staff member sort of collecting medications, another one sort of taking cash payments. And I was running between sort of this uh, line of people that were maybe 30 metres long and making announcements about, you know, um, we'd run out of ventolin at that by that point. So I did like a like – you could sort of see a few people go, oh, no, that's what we're here for. And I said, look, we've got some brick and all. And they didn't know anything about it. And I had to sort of do a big group demonstration of how to use brick and all in You know, so I sort of had like 10 people watching me do this demonstration with this terby about how to, to use Brickenol if need be. And I think just information is key to people. It really made a difference. It put people's minds at ease. They're just so used to having that, um, you know, information at their fingertips. So I spent more time doing announcements and talking to the patients than I actually did doing any work because it was just what they were after and they you know they were standing in a line 30 30 meters deep wondering if we' were going to serve them I said look we're going to serve everyone in here until until it comes a point where it becomes too dangerous where we have to leave and we're being told that we have to leave or everyone has sort of fulfilled their needs and they they're just you can see them just all relax you know and it just i think just information and it could be face to face and i think just being at that evacuation center wearing a white coat And walking around, people will just come up to you and ask you a question, and you were able to—if you didn't know the answer—you could help them lead them in the right direction of someone that might have an answer. Yeah, so I think it just communication and just face-to-face communication—it's what we as pharmacists are generally quite good at.
2: Danielle, it strikes me that the role that pharmacies played in the bushfire crisis absolutely cannot be overstated. It was—it was truly amazing, and thank you so much for your professionalism and your staff's professionalism and spirit in such trying times it was truly outstanding work so thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences around those recent challenging times
1: thank you appreciate it
2: it is clear that community pharmacists and their staff can play a crucial role in the response to natural disasters and maintain positive patient outcomes in adverse conditions Accessibility, training and strong community engagement place pharmacists in ideal positions to contribute to the ongoing support of patients and communities and visiting tourists affected by bushfires. The efforts demonstrated by pharmacies across Australia highlight the need for industry engagement across further disaster planning and operations. The Guild understands the importance of emergency management and planning and there are resources available to assist you to prepare for an emergency situation. These resources include templates to support you to develop a business continuity plan to help your business survive possible emergencies and enable the community's continued access to medicines in these situations. Members can review advice and download and print off the emergency management planning templates. Simply visit guild.org.au forward slash resources forward slash in hyphen home hyphen care forward slash emergency hyphen management. And Danielle and Andrew will also be presenting as part of the Business Innovation and Leadership Stream at APP 2020 on the 19th of March. And for more information on APP and their session, simply head to appconference.com. As always, I've been your host, Daniel Lawson. You've been listening to episode 42 of the PBCN Podcast. The
1: PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.